You know, I love that hymn. We didn't grow up singing that in the Greek Orthodox Church when I was a child. And we were the poorer for it. And actually, I, I love that hymn because I have felt like that at times. When everything in me was so vibrant and so jazzed about knowing God and knowing His plan for my life and how it was unfolding that all I could do was lift my hands and praise Him in ways that I never had before. Unfortunately, that is not always my experience. And I found, being a pastor, it's not always the experience of people in church. There are those times when God seems to be distant, when the consequences of our own actions, or perhaps the actions of another, have placed us into a spiritual funk, a spiritual malaise that is gray and low and seems to go on like the Midwestern sky in November for months and months and sometimes even years. And at that point, our song is something like this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there's no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I'll lift up my hands, and in your name I'll lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied, as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I'll stay close to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him. But the mouths of liars will be silenced.
That's Psalm 63, a psalm by King David that I committed to memory probably when I was your age by making it into a song. And it probably sounds more like a Greek Orthodox hymn than How Great Thou Art. I don't know if you've been around for very long, but if you have, then you know that scum of the earth has been in such a place for about the past 18 months. I remember when I was a kid watching old World War II movies. I liked especially the naval battles. And there was always this scene, it seemed, in every movie that I watched, or at least in a few that I watched, where there would be a lone submarine that would be besieged by a fleet of destroyers. And the destroyers were hot in pursuit using their sonar to try and ping the submarine and locate it and then send their depth charges at a variety of different depths to crack the hull and kill all the men on board. And so what the submarine would do very often in these old movies, it would dive, dive down to the bottom of the ocean and just rest there, stop there, turn all the engines off. Not a man in the submarine was allowed to even cough because that much noise would travel through the water and the sips could, could actually locate it because of their sonar. Sometimes they'd even send up a little bit of oil so that it looked like there was an oil slick on the surface and the destroyers would believe that they had done their job, destroyed the sub, and the sailors were all dead. And so the sub would just sit there on the bottom of the ocean until finally the destroyers got tired of the battle and then would move on. And then slowly in a very kind of creaking fashion, somewhat damaged but still functional, the sub would rise off of the bottom and then proceed on its way. That's kind of how I feel about scum of the earth. The last 18 months have been the hardest that I think as a church we have ever experienced. We have seen... Key leaders depart, staff people as well as those not on staff who were just an integral part of who we are. We've seen relationships crumble that we never thought would. We had the whole business with redoing this building and trying not only to come up with the money, but finally getting through the city all of the permits that needed to happen. And (laughs) we've seen drunk people coming in and disrupting our services, even though we tried our best to screen those who were too inebriated to be in church or who were under the influence of a different kind of a spirit from coming in at least that night. I've had staff members who have been punched in the face and 
a couple others, including myself, who almost got punched in the face. It's been a tough 18 months. We just had a staff retreat up in Estes Park, YMCA. Ned Barubi and Sue Barubi, who were here uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, came and led us through some devotions. And Ned was especially insightful when he said to us, I see scum as being in the grays and browns of November. Now, as you know, I just got back from my aunt's funeral in Indiana. My brothers and I left and drove across, and I had forgotten, really, how gray the sky can be in that part of the country for days and days. It seems to go on forever. And all you see are these low gray clouds, the brown fields, and the sticks of trees without leaves, the dark brown shapes bracing for the coming winter weather. And Ned says that's my favorite time of the year. I'm going, you're out of your mind. But I think that what the scriptures teach us is that God allows those seasons to come into our lives individually and as a corporate body like scum of the earth because he's doing something that can only be done in the grays and browns of November. Think about the most difficult times of your life. Just for a minute. Think about those. If you're like me, you, because you're a believer in God, fell to your knees, and we're seeking God with everything that was in you because you were in such great pain or because the spiritual fog was so thick and you couldn't see God and, and you longed for him, but he wasn't there. At least he wasn't there presently. He was there somewhere distantly. This is what's going on in Psalm 63. And I'm going to read through it again and give you a little background. This is written by King David. And it says at the beginning, a psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah. And you're thinking to yourself, perhaps, well, yeah, I remember when David was in the desert of Judah. It's when he was a young man. He wasn't yet king, but he was anointed king. And he was running for his life from that King Saul. And you're right, at that particular point in his life, he did flee to the desert of Judah. But this psalm is not written by David as a young man. This psalm is written by David as an old man. He's already the king. He's been king for many years. And this time he is being pursued by his very own son Absalom, who has raised rebellion against his father in an effort to usurp the throne from David. 
And so because his advisor said, David, you got to get out of Dodge, or out of Jerusalem in this case, David gathered up his household, his servants, his wives, his children, all of his advisors, and they left the city because Absalom was coming with an army. And they needed time to regroup. And so David goes to where he's gone before when he's been pursued. He goes to the desert of Judah. And this must have been on his mind as he left. Where before he was a totally innocent young man. Being pursued by Saul. A jealous king. Plagued by demonic activity. This time he had to be thinking, I've brought this on myself. Because the prophecy came through Nathan, the prophet of God, that when David had taken Uriah's wife Bathsheba, slept with her, gotten her pregnant, and had Uriah killed, that this would come back to haunt him. There was a spiritual consequence that was going to be paid by David. And this was part of that spiritual consequence. And so he's heading off into the deserts of Judah, thinking, I'm going off into the wilderness. And the bad part is, I've brought this upon myself. Let's take a look at Psalm 63. He starts off in verse 1 saying, O God, you are my God. This is the prayer of a believer. He has made a covenant with God, and God has made a covenant with him. Not just with him, but with his ancestors. And you really can't pray this prayer, this kind of a prayer, unless you've got that relationship where you've committed yourself, all as much of yourself as you know, to as much of God as you know, and God has committed himself to you. So this is not the prayer of someone who's not sure if there really is a God. David is sure there is a God. And he's sure that he messed up. And he's sure that God feels far off. And a lot of it is his own fault. But he still claims that relationship. Even though he messed up, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I have committed myself to you. Even though I've messed up, I'm your man. I will not run away from you, even though you deserve and have every right to run away from me. When you're in the grays and browns of November, even if it's due to mistakes that you've made, you start off the connection process, the reconnection process by claiming God as your God. I have never once felt in the past 18 months like God has forsaken Scum of the Earth Church. I mean, we've seen numbers dwindle, but that's okay because we were never in it for the numbers anyway. We've seen our financial Numbers go down, but that's okay because we just spent less than what was coming in. I have never once felt like God has pulled the plug in our relationship. 
And, and what this time has done to us as a community is increased our longing and desire for God. We have spontaneously, and I mean like not at staff direction, begun prayers before the evening service, before the morning service. People getting together organically here and there and everywhere to pray and seek God for this body of believers. We have earnestly sought him. And that's what David says. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now for David, he was obviously going into the desert, and that was true literally. But he's speaking about the inside of his soul as well. When you're in that place of dryness, when you're in that place where there's no spiritual water to drink, when God seems distant and far off, the way to worship God is to continue to claim Him as your God and to pursue Him as your God, to seek Him. Because God promises that those who seek Him will find Him. It's a promise. If you seek you will find. If you ask, it will be given. If you knock, the door will be opened. The Greek is in the present tense. Jesus was saying basically, if you ask and keep on asking, if you knock and keep on knocking, you will find God. Why does he do that? Maybe because we need to do it. It's not like God's the one who left. Maybe we're the ones who left. And it's a prescription for spiritual health to seek him in the dry times. And here's the deal. When you're in those dry times, you find a relationship with God you never thought was possible when you were in the plush times. You, you find that God goes deeper with you. As I like to say, it's those times where looking back, you would say, I wouldn't trade that time for a million dollars. But you will also say, I wouldn't give you a nickel for any more. Because they're so excruciating. They're so excruciating. I remember having four children and being laid off from a company run by Christians that I had known since I became a Christian. And they were very, very sorry to have to lay me off. And I was very, very sorry to have to go into the unemployment line and, you know, get just a fraction of what I used to be able to earn just so we could at least keep the lights on. We got groceries from churches in Michigan. And old friends would send checks in the mail. And I learned something in that wilderness experience that I would never have learned if I was self-sufficient, and that is that God loves me and He'll take care of me through His people I need not worry. It gave me a new appreciation for the church. It was a great lesson to learn. 
I wouldn't want to have to learn it again. I'd rather be the ones helping out a brother, helping out a sister who's in need, as opposed to being on the receiving end. That's what I'm talking about. So when we're in that spiritually dry place, when we're in the grays and browns of November, in our walk with God, the first thing we should do is to claim that relationship with God and to continue to seek Him. On to verse 2. We see David becoming reflective now. He's talked about his present. Now he's going to talk about the past. I have seen you in this sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. I have seen you in this sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And he says, your love is better than life. He looks back to the way it used to be when you could sing how great thou art. If you're in a spiritually dry place right now, that's what you need to do as well. You need to look back at the times when you knew God was there because he was in a very real way. He was there. He filled you with awe and wonder. You felt the connection. It was a supernatural thing. You, you know, everything was flowers and butterflies. You were a Disney princess in a Disney movie. Because sometimes it's like that. This way he looks back on those times to draw strength for the present when he's in this desert experience. And he says that even though he's in this desert experience, because of what happened in the past, his lips will glorify the Lord. I'm not going to say anything ill of God when I'm in this spiritually dry place. And I've got to say, I'm very, very proud of you as a body. We have not given up. We continue to speak well of Jesus and talk about his blessings, even though for the last 18 months it's been rough going. Even though for the last 18 months we've been on the ocean floor waiting for the depth charges to stop rumbling and shaking around us. And then he starts looking toward the future. He says, my lips will glorify you. Verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. He's looking forward into the future. And he's saying, look, okay, here I am in this place. The grays and browns of November. I'm going to look back and I'm going to remember how great God was in my life. But I'm always going to look forward. I'm going to say, you know what? It's going to happen again. I will be there. This is a season in my life. God will come back. It will be sweet again. I know it. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. The Hebrew here 
is graphic. The picture is of eating the fat and sucking out the marrow of a meal. Like, you're just, your hands are greasy, you're stuffing your mouth, you're cracking the bones, and you're sucking the marrow right out of the middle of those things. My, my grandparents were from Greece, right? It was the grossest thing in the world to watch my grandfather suck the marrow out of a lamb bone. But you know what? There's a lot of nutrients in there. And if you're starving, if you're a shepherd like he was in the rocky hills of Greece, and you get to kill one lamb for your meal, you're going to use all of it. And what David is saying is, I will feast on the Lord again. It's going to happen. I will lift up my hands in your name. I will, I will praise him. Hands lifted up. It's a joyous kind of a posture of praise and prayer, right? I mean, very often, I don't know if you know this, this is an aside, but, but our physical posture very often will, will reflect or even dictate what kind of prayers we're praying. If I am flat on my face on the floor praying to God, you know I've had a bad day. If I am kneeling reverently with my head bowed and my hands folded, I'm not in a bad place, but I'm acknowledging God as king and I'm his servant. But when I'm standing up with my hands raised, it's been a great day. Verse 6, he says, Now about the present. Coming back to where he is right now. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. He's not sleeping. He's not sleeping. How could you sleep? You're out of your bed in the palace, which is a pretty nice, cushy place. Your son that you love is trying to kill you and take your throne. Don't you think there'd be a lot of, oh, if I'd only had done things differently. A lot of self-incrimination. Those thoughts that keep you up late at night. Maybe you're there. Maybe you've been there. But what does that put you in connection with God? Oh, God, please. This is one of my prayers. One of my favorite postures for prayer is laying flat on my back, looking up at the ceiling and going, Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God, help. Help me. I get up in the middle of the night, and I'm worried about people as I watch their lives fall apart before my eyes. I mean, here's the not-so-great side of being a pastor. Is you love people, and you watch them destroy their lives. And you can't do anything to stop them because they don't listen to you. And you know you just got to keep watching them destroy their lives. And when it's all over and it's a shambles, you can't hold any grudges. You can't say, I told you so. You just say, 
Let me help you pick up the pieces. Let's go from here. This happens to me all the time, especially the last 18 months. Conversations that last hours, people crying on the other end of the phone. And I stay up late at night and I go through, oh God, remember these people. Oh God, what could I have done differently? How come I didn't see it coming? What could I have said to change the way things turned out? On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the nights. Because you are my help, I have no place else to go. I, I can tell you that I feel closer to God today than I have in years. And it's largely because of what we've been through as a community in the past 18 months. My times with God are sweeter than they've been in a long, long time. I feel taken care of in my soul. I can't explain it to you. It's one of those... Thank God I'm a Christian. How could you ever live this life without a relationship to God where you could dump all of your cares and your worries, where you can cry before Him, where you can get mad at Him for what He's not doing? Where else am I going to go? In accordance with James chapter 5, I got several people who were elders in the lives of Dan and Donna Carnes. We went and we prayed for Donna Carnes that God might heal her in accordance with the Scriptures. He chose not to. I don't know what else to do. Lord God, if I were you, I wouldn't do it this way. But you, you're, you're you. Help me. Help Dan, help Deva, help Chris, help Mike, help Casey to get through this thing. Donna's fine. I know that. Help us all. My soul clings to God, and his right hand upholds me. Even though I don't understand, even though I'm in the middle of the desert of Scum's spiritual trek, he's got us right there. I have never, ever doubted that he doesn't have us right there. And then the part that a lot of people don't know what to do with, verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king, referring to himself, will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. David hungers and thirsts for justice. Now, he loves his son. He has given specific orders to his general. Do not harm the boy Absalom. Bring him alive to me. Because he loves his son. But the general doesn't. Absalom's fleeing away. From the battle. And he has long, beautiful, flowing hair. 
He's going low under a branch. His hair gets caught in the branches. And he's hanging there as the donkey keeps going away. He's hanging there by his hair caught and knotted in the branches of this tree. And he can't get away. The pursuing general sees him and takes his spear and runs him through three times. And David has this long lament. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, I wish it had been me and not you who was killed. He loves his son. But that doesn't mean he loves everybody who's out to kill him. Now, I'm not David and I'm not being pursued by an army. But you know what? I know that there are dark spiritual forces that are out to mess us up. I've seen it. I've seen people deceived into doing things they would never normally do to destroy their own lives. And I hate the devil and his demons. And I hate the temptations that they snare the people that I love with. And I hate the things that happen to the people that I love as a result of being deceived and led into sin. And I look forward to the end of the age when God makes everything right and takes the devil and his angels and throws them into the lake of fire forever and ever. Trust me, if there was a grave with the devil's name on it, I would dance on his grave. In jubilation, the one who has brought so much sorrow to the earth, to individuals that God loves who are made in his image, is finally gone. Be like the munchkins. Ding ho, the witch is dead. Da, 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 wicked witch. Ding dong, the wicked witch. We would be celebrating. And that's how I see Psalm 63. Here's the deal. We are most present with God. We are most dependent upon Him in the grays and the browns of November in our lives. You can't manufacture these times. They are the gifts from God that nobody wants. We are at our best spiritually when things are at their worst. It doesn't look that way. We are at our best when things are at their worst. You think about Jesus. And when you think about Jesus, you think about the defining moments in the life of Jesus. Most of the time, you go to the Passion Week. You go to Gethsemane. The Last Supper, Gethsemane, the cross. We see the height of Christ's divinity. During the times that we see the depths of human depravity. 
When we crucified Jesus, He saved the world. Your spiritual trek is no different. We are called to be like Him. And things do get better, if not in this life, then in the next life. A servant is not above his master, and a student is not above her teacher. If they persecuted and did these things to Jesus, they will certainly also do them to you. If Jesus had to go through the valley of the shadow of death, so will we. And what is produced by going through that gives us the right to rule alongside of him in the age to come. There are things that I can tell you I would never be able to handle if it hadn't been for some of those times in my life. As many of you know, Mary and I have gone through difficult times in our marriage, but I can tell you that now our marriage is sweeter, more fun, and deeper than I ever thought possible. I enjoy being with her above everybody else. And there were, there were seasons I never thought that would happen. But it's true. And I believe that as a community, we've gone through some pretty dark times recently. But I believe that in even the near future, God is going to begin to do some things that will bubble up and will bring us joy, such as we've never experienced. I even see signs of it already. For example, the Scum Study Center now has more than just two teachers, and we've got more than just the basic courses. Things are beginning to proliferate when it comes to the Scum Study Center. And then we have this whole prayer and worship initiative that is beginning. Pretty soon you'll hear about it. We're not going to start out 24-7 prayer room kind of people, but you know what? I wouldn't mind if we ended up there. It'll start small. We don't despise small beginnings. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do amazing things among us we never thought possible. I don't think that for 12 years that we've been a church, 12 and a half years, that we have been anywhere close to mature enough to handle the kinds of gifts, the kinds of ministry that God wants us to be involved in. And maybe now we're ready. We're like adolescents. As a church, we should have a bar mitzvah or something. I think a new season is on the way. I know people who have given me prophetic words saying imagery like this. Mike, scum has been in a pruning stage. I see scum like a peach tree that God has cut back the branches. And it hurts right now. But you know what? A time is coming when, because of the pruning he's doing now, the fruit is going to be so thick on this tree, this peach tree, that the branches will be groaning just trying to hold up the weight of the fruit. 
Those are spiritual metaphors, obviously. But I'm looking forward to it. Let it be true. It certainly is in line with everything I know about the Scripture and how God operates. C.S. Lewis has a poem. Most of you didn't know that he was a poet. He wasn't a great poet, actually. He wasn't all that good. But he tried. And he had some really good ideas that he put into poetry. And because I'm a C.S. Lewis fan, I like his poetry. There's one that I've always liked, and it seems to have come upon me again just at this time when I feel like we're coming out of the grays and browns of November. It's called Pattern, and it goes like this. Some believe the slumber of trees is in December, when timber is naked under sky, and the squirrel keeps his chamber. But I believe their fibers awake to life and labor when turbulence comes roaring up the land in loud October and plunders, strips, and sunders and sends the leaves to wander and undisguises prickly shapes beneath the golden splendor. Then form returns in warmer, seductive days, disarming its firmer will the wood grew soft and put forth dreams to murmur. Into earnest winter, with spirit alert, it enters the hunter wind and the hound frost have quelled the green enchanter. Our life as a community is just beginning afresh. Please pray with me. Lord God, we praise you for bringing us through these difficult times. And Lord, I have a prayer that we would continue to praise you. In the days when things are going well, let us remain steadfast in prayer. Let us remain steadfast in obedience. When things are joyful and the fruit abounds, let us not forget you or where the fruit came from. Let us always pursue you and you alone. Let us remember you more than the gifts that you bring by far. In Christ's name, amen.